All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. This is Root Solution, learning how to control the basics. This is Kai. And this is Noah. And we're going to talk exposure therapy. Expose you. I mean, we're going to expose you. What? <laughs> Kai is always trying to expose himself, people. Um, so, okay. So, we have continued to track through this wonderful world of anxiety. Um, last week, we referenced anxiety for like the 12th time in a row, though we didn't mean to. Um, and now we're going to talk more about it. So, Basically, what we've done here historic or recently is we've set you guys up and kind of talked about biological adaptation of um, anxiety, how to deal with anxiety, what anxiety means, and anxiety and anxiety and more anxiety and then yes. some more anxiety. And now I have anxiety. Um, last week, we talked about Kai's diet and how he now poops correctly. Um, but more importantly, we talked about how we like to use scientific method as a way to have some sort of plan of action when we go forward and deal with whatever we're dealing with. Yeah. Because we realize anxiety is a function of nature and it's asking for change. But how do we have systematic change? Mm -hmm. So we personally believe that scientific method is a great way to do that. Yeah. It's easy. It's dorky. It fits our profile. But it gives us some sort of plan. Okay. So now we went through scientific method. We've got our, our plan of action. We've got our – we figured everything out. We're like, okay, we, we have a hypothesis that works. We tested it and it works. Okay. So now what? shit so here we are exposure yeah. therapy yeah, yeah. so a lot of times guys anxiety is driven by discomfort just straight up discomfort like i don't feel comfortable in my environment and i don't know how to get comfortable here mm -hmm. exposure therapy has been a way that we've seen historically that works really well to microdose people with with their fear yeah. to help them build that up now kai i know we we got a literal definition what was the literal definition of exposure therapy is everybody ready for this here we go it's gonna be nice <laughs> and boring so it is a psychological treatment that was designed to help people confront their fears. When people are fearful, they tend to avoid the feared objects. Although this avoidance might help reduce the fear in the short term, over the, in the short term, but over the long term, it can make the fear become even worse. And that's from PTSD guidelines. Right. So it's literally getting over your fears. So what about that stands out to you? Because I know there's something that really like jumps at me here. But what about you? Like, is there something about that, like literal definition that stands out to you? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people avoid it, right? That's just avoid. Avoidance of, yeah. Like uh, the problem, but I know the answer, but I'm going to avoid it because it takes right. me out of my comfort zone. Sure. And I think that that's what exposure therapy is, right? right. Just get out of your comfort zone. Yeah. Well, and so for me, this actually like my nerd brain goes even further right mm -hmm. so we know that our brains function on patterns yeah. right so we we know there's a level of neurological conditioning mm -hmm. that leads to neuroplasticity which is the way our brain goes back and forth through our neural networks so guys that's like early podcast stuff yeah. Yeah. but essentially to, to dumb that down for you our brain works on patterns yeah. if i tell my brain to do something all the time it's predictive in nature so it wants to predict outcomes so it can set itself up energy wise right and so our brain does, wants to do its best to not be caught off guard yeah. because then it's got to go to its stored reserves of energy right and so some of the interesting about thing about what we just read here was this avoidance idea means that I'm just going to stay away from shit that's hard yeah. because if I stay away from it, life's easier. Yeah. Right. And so on one hand on paper, that sounds like that sounds great. Yeah. Right. Like we'll just avoid it. It'll go away. Right. Yeah. But that's not how it works. And the thing is, is our cells only speak one language, mm -hmm. right. Which is load yeah. load is a, is some sort of 
um, exogenous force coming internal, right? And so something that we've got to consider with load is that load is also very important in terms of psychological, yeah. right? So my inputs, my neurological inputs need to receive load. So if I am avoiding things altogether, that means I'm not patterning those positions, yeah. right? And so like, uh, Andy Stumpf is a former Navy SEAL and he was a Navy SEAL advisor. And he's done something crazy like 36, like 36 a year jumps out of a plane. Like he just jumps out of planes because he's insane. And so when they ask him, like, is that scary? He's like, no. But here's the thing, you guys. He, he jumps out of a plane multiple times a month, yeah. right? So like for me, the idea of skydiving is terrifying. Okay. And his stump is like, yo, whatever, let's do it. Right. Like he doesn't care because he's had massive exposure. Right. Mm -hmm. So in terms of calculating risk, he's calculated the risk in terms of like, well, I'm safe. I've done this a thousand times. Nothing's gone wrong. We good. Right. So he doesn't have the same response when he looks outside of a plane as I would. Right. His his literal predictive pattern is like jump out of a plane. Yeah. It's not a big deal. Right. I'm not saying you should jump out of a plane. (laughs) But what I am suggesting is that by avoiding simple things in life. Uh, a while ago, you were talking about someone being afraid of driving over a bridge. Mm-hmm. Avoiding the bridge means that I've never patterned the ability to go over the bridge. Yeah. So I need to, but I need to go over bridges to get to places, mm-hmm. right? So for me, that's the big thing that stands out to me is I, I'm, I'm, I can't get past that idea of like we need to pattern things. Yeah. And so you have to have a really diverse pattern, mm-hmm. or you're just going to get really, really set in certain things, which is OCD. Right. Yeah. One of my friends is actually afraid of flying. Right. And where he likes wants to travel. So I'm like, okay, well, it's gonna be kind of tough. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Train or drive everywhere. Right. Totally. Okay. So now we understand that like what exposure therapy is, right? But that's off obviously like a really really aggressive broad reach, right? So like just because I understand what it is, how do I deal with it? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. We have some steps to take. So one thing is to make a list. And the list is going to be a list of things that are scary or that you fear. Okay. Right. Uh, And from that list, you're going to make a fear ladder, which is basically first thing that you write down is the thing that's the least scary. So something like, um, what did you say earlier? Like if. If I want to jump off a building and do like bungee jumping. Yeah. So like I'll do is, is maybe jump into a pool. Yeah. Yeah. So right. something that's somewhat scary, but not as scary right. as the thing that you really want to do. Um, so these can be things um, that involve like length of time or time of day, the environment or who you're with. The who you're with really stood out to me when I saw yeah, this. Um, because I don't think we realize how much company influences. Yeah the decision to do things, right? Yeah. Like if you're with someone who makes you feel really, really safe, mm-hmm. right? If I'm jumping out of a plane with Andy Stumpf, mm-hmm. like I'm going to feel probably a little bit safer, right? Yeah. Cause there's a lot of experience there mm-hmm. as practitioners. Ironically, people come to Kai and I for a safe setting for healing and care. Yeah. Kai and I can't really fix your problem, right? We can contribute to like some solvency. Yeah. We can teach you how to make sure it doesn't happen again. We can give you some soft tissue stuff to make you feel better. But the reality is, it's like you're going to control the solution of the problem. Yeah. But what we offer in terms of companionship in the environment mm-hmm. is what makes it a safer setting. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
That's a big one for me. It was, you know, I thought, I thought the same thing, right? Like if you're going to do something fearful, a lot of times people want to have the ones that are closest to them with them. hundred percent. Right? Um, I think about, um, oh, the word just escaped me. It's like someone has a problem and you get a bunch of people. It's a, a conglomeration, no, like a, a group, a group of people that, um, intervention. Intervention. intervention, we're going to have intervention, right? right? So when you have an intervention, right, it's all the people that love and care for you. Yeah. Right. So, you know, you're not going to go to rehab because 16 strangers told you, you need to go 100%. to rehab. Right. It's your friends and family that tr- you trust and love that are going to tell you, hey, if you have a problem, you need to go and solve that problem. Right? And what did we say literally in last week's podcast, right? We had talked about observation being yeah. important to have an observation outside of yourself from yeah. somebody you trust and, and, and believe in, right? Exactly. Yeah. That yeah. objective um, observation. Um, but yeah. And then so after you build a field, build a fear ladder. Uh, from least scary to most scary with the length of time, time of day, environment, and who you're with, then you start facing those fears, starting with the least fearful thing on the list. Um, and you go practice it, right? <clears throat> After you do that and and you want to reward yourself for the brave behavior because then you're, like you talked about, the, the neuroplasticity of it, right? Um, the more that you reward yourself, the more you're going to want to do it. Right? Uh, it's just, and the same goes for if it's scary and you failed at it and you feel like it sucked, you're not going to want to go do it again. hundred percent. So the reward for great behaviors is pretty important. I think. Well, I also think that's part of the reason it's important to start at the base of the fear ladder, yeah. right? Because yeah. you want achievable goals, exactly. right? Like if I know that base diving or free diving or base diving in the grand Canyon scares the shit out of me, but I have to do it. Mm-hmm. Jumping into a pool seems pretty yeah, easy in comparison, good. right? Yeah. Yeah. So definitely um, have that reward system there. And then the last part is repeat it. Go to the second fearful thing. Sure. Right. So, like, we'll use the jumping out of a plane, for example. You jump off of a, a dive board for the pool, then you go to a little bit higher, right. a little bit higher, and then maybe you, um, I don't even know what the next step after that would be. Maybe. I mean, you go to a high dive, right? Maybe, I don't know. Maybe you go on a roller coaster. I don't know. Yeah. Right. Like, this isn't, then this is the thing, guys. This is, this is what's interesting about this conversation is like, this is going to be a, a fear ladder is being really, really uh, personal. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because if you would ask me, so the idea of skydiving is pretty scary. I'd still probably do it, but it's pretty scary. Yeah. If, but if you were to say, Hey, you're going to go on Supreme scream and Knott's Berry farm, yeah. which is like a True. 15 second drop. Like logically that's such an uncontrolled environment. That doesn't scare me even a little bit. I've been on that ride 150 times, right? So like you guys can see, there's a big variance between Supreme Scream Mm -hmm. and skydiving. And so when I'm making a fear ladder, Supreme Scream might be this first step on the fear ladder or the next thing scarier to that, right? And so, and maybe it's bungee jumping or maybe it's, I don't know. I I don't know what it would be, but the paragliding or whatever else, right? (laughs) Something that feels really uncomfortable. I think the other thing about this that it stands out to me is that Kai and I are talking about really tangible things in terms of like jumping off things. But the reality is, is like, this is also useful in a more um, emotional setting. Yeah. Right. Maybe it's, I am afraid to uh, talk to my dad about financial things. Mm -hmm. Right. Or maybe I'm afraid to talk to my spouse or like, I don't set boundaries well or, Mm -hmm. 
this fear ladder can get really, really deep, right? Yeah. Because the reality is, is like these fears could be something that's communicative. Yeah. It, they don't have to be tangible, right? Yeah, and I think um, one of the first things that popped in my head was uh, social anxiety. Sure. Right? Like being in social settings right. and being very socially awkward, but starting off by just hanging out with one friend. Right. And that friend being um, not super like type A, right? Because right. that can intimidate and, and really cause problems there. But, um, you know, finding someone that's that makes them feel safe, right? right? And then it's like, oh, bring another friend. And then another friend, and then the next thing you know, you're in a room full of people, and you're not anxious about it. Right. Um, you know, and and I think it's a it's an important piece because um, one, it's it's doing it in a safe environment. Right. But two, it's getting you a little bit out of your comfort zone. Right. And I think that the comfort zone is really where um, it gets really difficult to get out of. Right. Um, <clears throat> once your comfort level is so high it makes it that much harder to get back into or to get out of it. Right. Yeah. So we think about, um, January, right. Right. First thing people do, they make a new year's resolution, <laughs> right. go to the gym, right. Go, or sign up for the gym. Sorry, right. Sorry. They may not even go to the gym, right. But they're so comfortable not going to the gym that they go for first two or three weeks. Right. And then all of a sudden you don't see them anymore. Right. Right. Cause it's so much more comfortable to be at home or not at the gym and right. killing yourself than going to the gym. Right. Right. So, um, but if you start going to the gym maybe once or twice a week and then you're like, okay, I can do that. Then it's two to three times a week right. and you can do that. And maybe you find a partner that makes you feel safe, that encourages you along the way. Then you're more likely to stay longer at right. the gym than rather than you're done after two, three weeks. Well, and, and to take that one step further, right? If you're the person that has anxiety revolving around the gym altogether, mm-hmm is it the gym that's the problem, right? And so that's the other thing is like, the other issue is is being able to have a very real observation as to what you need becomes really, really important because I think a lot of people, when you talk about like the gym, right? And I know this is an isolated instance, but I think this is important to extrapolate this idea of that if I'm afraid of going to the gym, maybe it's because I don't wanna give up the habits that have put me where I am now. Right. And you're, you realize that like going to the gym is going to be mean. I'm going to compromise on eating Mm Chick-fil-A or drinking coffee or whatever other thing your sympathetic fix is. Mm -hmm. So is the gym the problem or is it the sympathetic fix prior? And so I think this is where it becomes really important to work with a professional or work with somebody who really knows you and cares about you that can give you really tangible, real insight as to who you are as a person. Because the truth, the the unfortunate truth of the matter is, is it's hard for us to one self-evaluate. But two, and more importantly, it's hard for us to create an action plan around an idea because we don't understand the depths of our dysfunction. Yeah, and right? I think through that that uh, scientific method, right, the, I think the most important part is that asking the question, right, and asking multiple questions, right, because that's how we get to the depths right. of, of the real <clears throat> root solution. Um, so it's, it's really about, you know, asking the right questions, but getting the questions from someone that you know, it makes you feel safe right? Sure. because you're not going to share it with somebody who's like, well, why aren't you doing that? Right. You need to be doing this. You need to be doing that. Um, it, it just comes off as more um, demanding than it is like caring. Right. right. Um, so I think that, um, you know, the better questions you ask and the better questions that you get, the more you can peel the layers of those, that, that onion, anxiety onion, maybe, or exactly. whatever. 
Um, Ogres like onions, bro. Right. Um, so, you know, to get to the center of the Tootsie Pop, you right. got to ask uh, better questions. Well, I think, and then, so also, going back to last week's podcast, one of the last things that we talked about with scientific method is is that idea of, like, utilizing the practice, right? Yeah. And so you have to really kind of think about also, like, okay, I've went through my fear ladder. Do I feel better? Mm-hmm. And if I don't feel better, yeah. we have to circle back to that scientific method wheel and go back to the idea that, okay, like, well, maybe that wasn't it. Right. Like maybe that wasn't the problem. Maybe the problem is deeper and greater and more embedded than what I thought it was. Mm -hmm. So I need to start over again and circle back to a new hypothesis. Right. Yeah. So you bring up a very good point because I think that a lot of people go into things thinking like this is it. This is the one thing that's going to solve everything. All my problems are solved. If I just stop eating French fries, all of my problems are solved. Everything. But in reality, we have multiple issues that show up after right. we solve one thing, right? Yeah. Um, and that's why I think the scientific method is so important and to become um, an experimentalist. Yeah. Because then you never stop changing. Right. And that's the most consistent thing in this world, right? It's constant change. So, um, you know, when we really think like, oh, I got, I'm done with this because I figured it out then another problem comes and you're like, oh crap, now I have to come out of my comfort zone again. I was thinking about the Jay Shetty quote. Which one's that? The one where he talks about cleaning your room. You oh, yeah, brought yeah, it up. Yeah. Say it for me. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's, it's about like meditation, right? right? So meditation is about cleaning your room in your head, right? But, you know, it's going to get messy again. Right. So you can say, oh, you know what? It's going to get messy again. I don't need to clean it. But then it gets messier and messier and messier. And then it all of a sudden you're overloaded with this mess that you don't want to clean it. Right. But when you do it every single day, it's like, no, this becomes my routine. <clears throat> I have a clean room every time. Got to clean your room every day. It doesn't matter if it gets dirtier and dirtier. I can clean it every single day. Um, so once you, you know, once you start giving it the practice and putting in the consistency, I think that's another important yeah. piece of it, okay. right? Is being consistent in getting over your fears, right? right? Confronting your fears, actually, I think is a better way of saying that. Um, and rewarding yourself every time that you clean your room right. or every time that you get over one of those fears um, because then you're like, okay, next one, I get a bigger bigger right. reward. The next one, I get a bigger reward. And the the more you play it like that, and I think there's like a term for it, like gamify it, right? right. Um, the more you do it that way, the more enjoyable it is long-term. Right then it is like, okay, one and done, right? I did it and I'm okay, done. I, I got over that fear. But it's not over at that point, right? We have many, many years of, of living. Right? And many, many fears. And, and very significant depths to the fears. That, that would be a song right there. Many, many. <laughs> many men. That's a, that's a 50 cent song, right? Um, going back to circling back to that fry idea really quick, right? And the reason I bring that up and why it's so powerful Kai and I work in the fitness industry for a lot of years. A lot of the times, a lot of the people come to us, um, they've done their work and their scientific method has led them to the idea that like, if I work out, I'll feel better about myself. Yeah. Right. And so constantly Kai and I will see people that are like, I'd like to lose 25 pounds. Yeah. And Kai and I are like, why? Mm-hmm. Like, please explain. Yeah. And they're like, well, I think I'll feel better. Like, mm-hmm. why is 25 pounds the number that makes you feel better? Yeah. 
like why isn't it seven percent body fat mm -hmm. and they're like well and as you dig and continue to ask the more complicated and confusing questions what you find you come to find is a lot of times there's an association to those numbers right yeah. so in a lot of cases you'll see people are like well i weighed this in high school mm -hmm. and the happiest i've ever been when i was in high school yeah. so if i weigh this ipso facto i'll be happy yeah. right well we know that there's like no congruency between like how much you weigh and how happy you are. Right. Yeah. Just like there's no congruency to like how much money I make and how happy I am. Right. Like I saw a thing the other day where Nicholas Cage made $150 million over his career and he's broke. And then they had like some old lady in the next picture over. And it was like Dorothy in Illinois saved her money and died with $9 million in the bank. Right. So like <laughs> Dorothy made like $40,000 a year, but she has more money than Nick Cage. Right. Yeah. So, my point here is, is that like, we have to really evaluate ourselves really deeply and like really understand who we are. And again, a patient that I worked with prior, we had started having a lot of conversations. Um, and I swear to God, I'm not a therapist guys. Like I'm not, but like, you know, being a good human and having these conversations becomes important. Yeah. Um, and so she, we had been talking and talking and talking and, um, she had been talking about past relationships and things she had done with past boyfriends. And it kind of was clear to me that she didn't enjoy those things. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, are you just doing these things to make people around you happy? Or are you doing these things because you like them? Yeah. She's like, I've never been asked that question. Mm -hmm. So like, I think we need to start there, yeah. right? Like, are you devoting time in your relationships to things that you don't enjoy mm -hmm. because you want to make the person in front of you happy? Because you think that'll correlate to more love? Yeah. Well, like that could be problematic because are you living your truth? Like, are you getting what you need out of your relationship? Like, yeah. at what point are you being selfish enough to get what you need out of things, right? And so we've been talking and talking and talking. She'll every periodically, I'll get a text message when she has like a revelation. And that's something she sent me recently. And it's been months, guys. And she said, hey, something I've realized is that I have a really sarcastic front. And I don't let people in because I'm afraid to. And I'm afraid that I'm going to have to just be complacent to them and not be myself. And I've had to learn to be vulnerable. And I mean, it was this really beautiful text message um, that was really deep and insightful. And you can see she'd been doing the work, right? She'd been going through that scientific method process. She went through exposure therapy. She got to the end of the exposure therapy and went, ah, this isn't it. Shit. Circled back, did it again. Circled back, did it again. Guys, literally, I've this I've known this person for, for probably over a year now. And just now is she finding that pathway, right? um it's slow yeah and it sucks and you're gonna guess wrong sometimes yeah. um hopefully you have good guidance in your life which mm -hmm. we're gonna talk soon about coaches needing hey, coaches oh. <laughs> yeah forecasting <laughs> um but that's one of the things that really stands out to stood out to me right is that she continued to circle back through the process to understand where she was and what she needed and when things didn't feel right through that fear ladder she'd stop and reassess and go back to scientific method and i think that's what this becomes really important right is like understanding that like it's okay to guess wrong yeah. sometimes guessing wrong leads you to better answers yeah. right and so you know i know historically that like i've done things fitness wise that i've guessed wrong on mm -hmm. right they didn't work but i learned just as much from my failures as i do from my successes right yeah yeah my favorite quote wow i can't speak um, who is it by? I think it's Nelson Mandela, but basically it's, there is no lose, losing, failing, right? There's only winning or learning. Right. Right. So if, if you take that approach and take that mindset of 
you know, even if I fail, if I don't come out with a solution, I'm still learning 100%. along the way, right? I learned that this is not for me, right? And it goes back to what we always talk about, which is self-awareness, right? 100%. Because what works for you isn't going to work for everybody. And that's why this, this way of going about solving your issues, getting to the root solution and controlling the basics is... Damn, <laughs> damn, guy. Like like Woo! All the drops. <laughs> um, it's because you need to be aware of what, what it is that is going to help you and you yeah. alone, right? And it may help other people in your similar situation. Right. You know, like someone's shoulder injury isn't the same as the next person's shoulder injury. I know. But, you know, sometimes there can be similarities in that, you know, you share something with somebody and they're like, oh, wow, that resonates with me, right? Um, so I think that, that having that self-awareness and, and really leaning into that is, is what's going to benefit all of this stuff that we're talking about the most. Yeah. Right? Um, cause you can do the scientific method. You could expose yourself a lot, but if you don't, are you saying you expose yourself a lot? Yeah. Okay. Just not near schools. <laughs> yeah. Especially. No, no Kai doesn't actually <laughs> expose himself. I swear. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's just important to, um, understand that your path is your path and it's not anybody else's. And when you take that path and you, and you, and you really understand and, and come out the end of it, knowing yourself more, I think that's the value that, that comes from, from doing all this. Right. I think that's so profound. And I think to add to that, getting past the idea of good and bad exists, yeah. right? Like. Yeah nature doesn't do good and bad right like you can you could look at the most atrocious people in the history of time and their perspective on what they've done is in good intent mm -hmm. nobody does anything ill-willed mm -hmm. right um i'm not a conspiracy theorist by any means but there's plenty of physicians whose work i strongly disagree with I don't think the physicians are bad people. No. In fact, I know them. They are good people. They don't know the depths of what I'd like them to know. Yeah. That doesn't make them a bad person. Yeah. They still are coming from a place of caring and love. Yeah. They aren't bad. They just aren't what I deem to be good. And my value scale is different than theirs. Mm -hmm. Again, nothing is wrong with that. There is no good and bad, right? When I get past the idea that like I've failed and the language changes to where I lived an experience that taught me something that doesn't feel good to me. So we're going to make changes. Yeah. That idea becomes really different, right? Guys, I'm not a massage therapist. I went to a massage therapy school, mm -hmm. right? Like I, like I literally don't do massage therapy, right? Was that experience bad? <laughs> depends on who asks no yeah. but in the truth of the matter is is the experience i met kai i met martina um i got exposure to a world that um i needed to understand better yeah. to shift focus right because if i didn't go to massage therapy school and have exposure to um a treatment protocol i didn't believe in it wouldn't have driven the anxiety for me to find more answers 
Massage therapy school didn't feel good to me. There's plenty of people we went to school with that are still massage therapists that are doing great things. There's yeah. nothing wrong with their experience. That was their experience. And that's a good, that was a good experience for them. For me, I had anxiety about that solution, which drove change and adaptation yeah. into finding a better solution for me. So massage therapy wasn't bad. Yeah. It wasn't a failure. Yeah. It, just was an experience that drove me to another experience. And I think when we can start getting into that place of it's an experience that drives another experience, mm -hmm. all of a sudden we can wrap our head around this idea that like, we're just here to live. Yeah. Like ultimately your only job in world is to live. Like this world is pretty shitty. If I just sit in my room in darkness by myself, yeah. right? We're meant to be social. We're meant to be proactive. We're meant to do things. We're meant to move. We're meant to shake. Right. If I do those things, if I move and I shake and I live and I experience, then life is good. Yeah. So then we just need to do those things, which I understand is an oversimplification. But I think it's a good starting point for people. Yeah. Right? It gives a lot of clearance and forgiveness in the way we live our lives, at least for myself. Yeah. I think even that slight shift of like, there is no good and bad. Right. right? Um, for so me, that was really a game changer. It is. Yeah. It is. Um, you know, because... Our, our brains are always trying to find meaning between things, right? Yeah. So if our meanings are only good and bad, then we only see good and bad. And it's hard on ourselves. Yeah. Um, so, you know, just really try to shift your, your mindset to, you know, there is no good or bad. It's just experience. And what you take from those experiences will keep you growing, right? And then, and then follow me at root.solution yeah. on Instagram and Facebook. And follow Kyron at Control Basics um guys thank you for your time we greatly appreciate it we love you guys as always we will continue with this soon i promise have a wonderful day guys take care peace